Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey guys, and welcome to Paranormal Thoughts Podcast, and as always, thanks for joining me. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the Buff Ledge alien abduction. Just before we get into that, though, I just want to say, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the previous episodes of the podcast, please subscribe. Uh, it'll keep you in the loop for every time I post and everything like that. Also, if you do use Apple Podcasts, please feel free to leave me a five-star rating. Don't, don't leave anything else but five stars. I don't want it. Um, <laughs> it helps the podcast uh, get pushed out into playlists and you know become more recommended for other people so if you want to do that uh, that's a massive help we're on facebook and instagram jump on instagram um more so than facebook because instagram's kind of the the thing now isn't it uh and uh, i post extra little bits over there kind of let you know when there's an episode coming up do polls questions all that sort of stuff so uh jump on there follow me there we also have a blog, which is paranormalthoughtspodcast.wordpress.com. Jump on there for any of the sources I'm going to use for this episode, any photos, videos, anything like that that you can reference uh, will be up on there. Also, I don't say this too much, but I do actually have merchandise. I have one current shirt design, uh, and I'm now working on some others as well. I know a few of you have um, copped them in the past, so if you uh, want the current design, feel free. There is a link in the description here. Uh, it's all through Teespring, so you can jump on there and uh, check out the shirt if you're interested. So the beginning of this year has been pretty wild, 2020. I don't think anyone could have really expected what's kind of unfolded. But this week, just to add to some more of the bizarre kind of information, everything that's going on at the moment, uh, the Pentagon uh, in the United States announced that three videos that have been circulating for about two and a half years now, they've backed up this footage by saying that this is footage from the American government. The objects in the videos, which I think, these, these are great videos. I'm sure you know the ones we're talking about. Um, to the Stars, Put Them Out, which is Tom DeLong's company. Uh, I remember, I think the first one was in December of 2017, so quite some time ago. And there's been you know, a ton of information since then uh, about the sort of origin of the footage. And we've heard from the pilot and so on. Uh, and now the government has kind of also said, yes, this was our footage now that we're declassifying, uh, even though we all knew that anyway. But regardless, it's kind of um, stoked up a lot of more excitement. The amount of people have sent me <laughs> the articles and the videos, it's kind of weird that they have decided to announce it now, kind of during everything that's going on. It almost seems like it's a good time to do it for them because there's that much else kind of going on right now. 
it's it's literally like <laughs> like no, I don't know if people really care. They're they're more worried about you know getting sick or losing their jobs with everything that's going on currently. So it's kind of the perfect time for them to declassify and actually you know disclose some pretty top secret information about UFOs. Uh, and obviously they've come out and said there's no proof that this is anything extraterrestrial. But let's be honest, um, it doesn't look you know Russian or Chinese or anything like that. So my my understanding is it is something quite unknown uh, and most likely not from Earth. So I just want to get that out of the way because I've had this conversation uh, a fair bit in the last few days. So I'm sure when you listen to this, depending on when you listen to this, obviously, but I'm sure uh, it's been sort of circulating around your groups as well. So just thought we'd uh, touch on that just before we kind of got into this story. So I love doing these. I love looking into UFO cases. Um, We're going to go back uh, a few years now. This one was in August of 1968, uh, and this took place in Vermont. Now, this case I wasn't familiar with until I started reading into it, and it didn't take me long till it got my attention. And the reason was the location, which was uh, Lake Champlain. I will get into this maybe a little bit more uh, later into the episode, but pretty much if you've listened to my Loch Ness Monster episode, um, which is mostly focusing on the Loch Ness Monster in Scotland, I talk about other lake monsters from around the world. One monster is Champ, who is who has been spotted in Lake Champlain for about the last 100 years. And so as soon as I saw that, I was like, fuck. So there's been a UFO case directly over this body of water where supposedly this lake monster also resides. So that was it. I was like, I don't care what this is. I got to look into this and I'm going to talk about it. So I can talk a little bit more about Champ, um, maybe towards the end of the episode, but that was the thing that really got my attention. And then when I started looking into the case, I thought it was a very strong report, very well detailed, as you're going to hear. But it was sort of one of those weird ones where I feel like it probably kind of happened, it had its time, and then that was sort of it, you know. It's not really one of the cases which kind of gets referenced a ton, at least, you know, I guess in the broad sort of sense, you know, because the Betty and Barney Hill case, which I've also done an episode on, uh, it was a little bit after that. So one of the experiences was actually familiar with the Betty and Barney Hill case um, prior to this. So keep that in mind, obviously, but he kind of references that in the report of he sort of knew somewhat of what was kind of happening to him because he had heard this happen to other people. So this took place at a summer camp in Lake Champlain. Two people were abducted. It was two of the employees at the camp. These are both fake names as well. Uh, One was Michael Lapp, who was 16, who was working as a maintenance worker. And the other experiencer was Janet Cornell, and she was a 19-year-old ski instructor. Now, it's almost like the perfect kind of setting, I think. You know, when, when I would read all the descriptions and reports of this case, I think it's a very visual one. It's literally... These two teenagers are just hanging out after a day of work. The sun's setting. It's kind of getting to that real sort of dusk kind of time. They're sitting by the dock overlooking the lake. You know, very picturesque. Um, if you know what Vermont looks like, very sort of stunning sort of scenery. So I think the whole appearance of this case kind of really excites me. And the idea that, you know, there could be this lake monster not too far away either kind of lingering. It's just, it's, it feels like a perfect kind of hotspot for this paranormal kind of activity. So the two were sitting there just hanging out after a day of work. They were pretty much alone for the most part. All the campers were actually at a swim meet. So mostly this account relies on Michael. Janet also gave some description, but Michael was the one who really 
has a good memory, or at least what they've dug up through hypnosis, everything like that, of the case. So for the most part, when I'm speaking, it's from Michael's account. So the two were hanging out and they noticed a bright light in the sky and Michael thought it was Venus or at least some other planet. But then the light dropped at quite an alarming rate in the sky and all of a sudden the idea of this being a planet was kind of thrown out the window. Before they knew it, three smaller lights appeared from the original larger light. The three smaller lights started doing some manoeuvres such as zigzagging, upward spirals, fluttering motions, descents uh, and stop and starts. And Michael goes on to say that he thought that the manoeuvres that these lights were doing, he wouldn't think would be possible for a earthly aircraft to do. As this was going on, the original larger light ended up ascending and left their sight lines. The three lights stopped in a triangle formation before two of them took off. As this happened, the witnesses reported hearing a sound such as a thousand tuning forks all playing at once. The remaining light came a lot closer and actually ended up submerging itself into the lake. It was submerged for a short time before re-emerging and actually heading closer to the teenagers. At this point, the witnesses can get a better look at what this light actually is, and they can tell it is a craft of some description. At the top of the craft was a transparent-type dome where two figures could be seen staring back at them. The craft moved closer and closer to the teenagers before it was right overhead. At this point, a beam of light shot onto the teenagers. Another interesting description that Michael gave at this point was the light had almost like X-ray-type qualities to it. It wasn't an x-ray in the sense of where you could see bone, but he said the light was that bright, you see the blood and the outline of your bones through the skin. One of the last things the couple remember was a feeling of weightlessness and drowsiness. The next thing they know, they're lying on the dock, the sun was set, it was pitch black, and the campers had returned from their swim meet. Janet and Michael wouldn't speak about what happened to them between the both of them. Michael actually told his family about the event, I believe that day or at least very soon afterwards and obviously they didn't believe him. Janet and Michael finished up their summer jobs and went their separate ways. Over the next 10 years, Michael starts to have quite traumatic dreams about the experience. Nothing too extreme at first, but the longer and longer it goes on, the more he has these dreams. He gets to the point where he decides he has to kind of deal with this and actually report it to someone. So he decided to reach out to the Centre of UFO Studies. Walter Webb was the researcher who took on the case. Just a little bit of a background about Michael Webb. He graduated in biology from Mount Union College in Ohio in 1954. He started in a career in astronomy under the teachings of Dr. J. Allen Hynek. He later became an astronomy consultant of four different UFO investigation associations. He was a member of MUFON and CUFOs. And a little interesting fact was he was the first researcher to look into the Betty and Barney Hill case. So that description of what happened I just gave you a moment ago that was just from, it was, I suppose it was from Janet and Michael, their accounts kind of lumped together from what they remembered prior to reaching out to Walter Webb. Walter decided for them to do some hypnotic regression to see what else they can uncover from the story. And what they ended up getting out of Michael's account was actually quite substantial. It was to the, probably the same sort of level of Betty and Barney or even Travis Walton, so on like that, where under hypnosis, a lot of the information is given. Now, I feel like there still is a bit missing from the actual time on board the craft, but there is a lot of descriptions that um, Michael actually gives of the craft itself. But the actual experience, what went on, I feel like still kind of is, is kind of missing, but at least there's a lot of other information that was uncovered. All right, so we'll get on to some good old hypnotic regression therapy. If you're not sure what that is, I feel like sometimes I kind of brush over some of these terms just because I'm so used to it and I feel like some of you would be as well. Pretty much 
it's being hypnotised, pretty much being put into a sleep state. But I suppose rather than with hypnotism, sometimes, you know, if you go and see like a show, they're making you do stupid shit. And this is actually kind of going back into your memory and literally kind of reliving the experience from your memory and kind of uncovering that. Evan, you know, obviously a researcher will record it and study it and try to uncover uh, more information from it. But I suppose the biggest thing is that memories can be planted, obviously on purpose and potentially even accidentally, if whoever is running the session, you know, might mislead that person or kind of have an agenda, you know, they might try to start putting things, thoughts into their mind to kind of paint the story that they want and so on. So you always got to watch that with um, this kind of stuff, obviously. I think it's a, I think it's a real thing. I think it's actually a really great way to uncover so much more, especially in this case, as you're about to hear. So when the craft got closer to our witnesses, they realised that it was quite a classic flying saucer type shape where it's like two plates stacked on top of one another, but a little longer, like a cigar as well. Also around the edges of the craft, there was pulsating lights. The lights had a pulsing synchronisation, which seemed to change with the sound of the UFO as well. The colours changed from purples to blues to greens to reds, but only one shade was visible at one time. So a bit of a scientific reason to why the colour around the UFO might change at different times. It's to do with the change of energy of the state of the object. It's emitting different wavelengths of light as it shifts the energy. So if the craft is moving slower or even at a standstill, it's emitting a different type of energy, so it's going to have a certain colour. And obviously when it's, you know, moving at quite fast speeds, it's using more energy so the light would change again. Something else that Michael remembered under hypnosis, when the craft came really close and ended up submerging itself in the water, he recalls how powerful that moment really was. When the craft hit the water, he actually struggled to find his footing. It was almost pushing him over. When the craft submerged itself into the lake, the surrounding environment became very interrupted. A lot of animals started to make a lot of noise and also the woods were disturbed. A lot of creaking from the trees, from the force of the craft hitting the water. And this continued until the craft actually re-emerged itself and then everything became still again. And this is when the UFO produced quite a low hum. At this point, Mark remembers being terrified. Up until now, he was more interested in what these lights were doing and I guess he was just really taking it in. But at this point, he was like, whatever this thing is, it ain't fucking around. (laughs) And obviously his fear increased as his craft came closer and closer to them. He looked at Janet thinking she'd have a scared reaction just like him, but instead she was in a trance-like state. Now we're at the part where the witnesses saw through the transparent dome the two figures. From what they could tell, they seemed shorter than an average adult, almost childlike, but they averaged them to be about five foot. And for the most part, at one point, Michael actually thought it was their shadows being cast, but then he realised that the body was quite disportioned. A large head, large frog-like eyes, as he reports, that wrapped around the head. At one point, he actually thought they were goggles, which they still could have been, but uh, we'll go with eyes. Also noticed that the beings had a very slim neck and wore some type of greyish green type jumpsuit. Michael decided to call out to the beings and ask what they wanted. And at this point, he got an answer. The only thing was that the response was in his mind. He was hearing it telepathically. He heard one of the beings say, we are not here to harm you. Obviously, Michael was quite surprised by hearing this voice inside his head, right? And he asked, what is this? How am I hearing a voice in my mind. And the being replied with, this is what you call telepathy. Now, Michael never even heard of this word. He didn't know what it was. Uh, So this is something he actually learnt from this experience. So this is a quote from Michael. The being said, their mission was to make life like ours in other places. 
Michael checked with Janet to see if she was having the same experience and she was actually having a conversation with the other being. At this point, again, the voice reassured Michael that they were not there to harm them and that they had returned to Earth since the atomic bomb testings began. Now, Michael doesn't really go into any more detail about this, but the word returned obviously is referring to they they were once here before any of those testings, which I've spoken about uh, numerous times that it seems like extraterrestrials have had some sort of play within humankind from pretty much the dawn of time. If you look back at what uh, what ancient gods were through all types of different civilizations, it seems like sky gods and so on did play quite a big part in building society. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. It's also worth mentioning that the voice sounded quite feminine to Michael as well in his mind. He said there was no accent or anything particular. It was just kind of this female-esque type voice. At various times during the conversation as well, Michael actually heard both of the beings talking to one another. Uh, he could hear that, but he couldn't understand what they were saying because they were speaking in their own language is what he perceived. He could hear them talking to one another without moving their lips and then also engage back with him in the conversation. So it was like he was kind of looped into this circuit of communication. So as this went on, Michael started to really feel the sense of panic again. But that wasn't long-lasted because then all of a sudden he had the urge of calmness and quite a relaxing sensation that was being pushed upon him. It was definitely out of his control. And the sense of calm started to make him laugh. So he so he lifted up his head, let out a big laugh and slapped his leg. And he couldn't help but notice that the being he was talking to did the exact same thing. It mimicked him. And he believes that this demonstration was to show that he wasn't dreaming this. He was This was actually something that was happening right in front of him in the flesh. We're talking to you. We can hear you. 
We know exactly what's going on. We are here. At this point, the craft moves a lot closer and Michael remembers getting even a better look once again at what he was seeing and he was absolutely amazed by what he was seeing. And he had the urgency now to want to be to want to get on board. He wanted to suss out what it was actually like. He wanted to touch the craft. He really wanted to have this experience, which is odd because he knows that that wouldn't be his reaction. You know, he had this moment of panic and then all of a sudden this forced perspective of relaxation and now he has, like, this excitement of, I need to know more. So whatever these thoughts he was having during this time were definitely not his own. And then before long, the craft was directly over their heads. Now, this is when the light beam appeared on Michael and Janet. And once again, Michael goes into the detail of the light being that bright that they could kind of see through their skin. He said it was the brightest light he's ever seen, yet he could look at it without it hurting his eyes or anything like that. The next thing Michael knew, he was closing his eyes and started to feel like he was losing consciousness. At this point, he has no control over his body whatsoever. As he's drifting off, losing consciousness, he starts to feel the feeling of floating or being weightless. The next thing Michael remembers was that he felt like he was in a really dark room with lights scattered around. He was no longer outside. While he was in this space, he could hear machinery in the background and also the beings speaking to one another in their language. A few things Michael remembers while he was on board the craft was he remembers the being that he was speaking to next to a console working some controls. The console had some blinking lights and switches. There was panels and boards on the walls with glowing lights and numbers and symbols that were familiar to him, but also a lot which were quite alien as well. Some other things he remembers were beings entering the room through solid doors. And that's kind of the outline of what Michael remembers from being inside the craft. So that's really it from Michael's report. And the only extra thing that Janet can add is when she was on board the craft, she remembers lying on an examination table which felt cold and she felt something pulling at her hair and pinching her neck. Janet was the only one to have a memory of a sort of a regular examination type experience, which would be very common with what the being's goal was, create life like ours. That was really the only extra thing that Janet's story had. Other than that, it was identical to Michael's. And then really, once again, the next thing Michael remembers was being on the dock with the craft flying away. Right before the craft was gone, though, two of the campers actually came down to the water because they could see some lights and so on going on, so they came to suss it out. They actually witnessed this craft flying away. So not only was there Janet and Michael, there was these campers as well who believed that they saw something as well that night. That's, that's, that kind of helps back up these claims a little bit as well. But other than that, it was really the reports of Janet and Michael and what they experienced that night. Now, I really like this case. I like the description. There's a lot of description kind of prior to the actual abduction, which I think is really interesting. Uh, a lot of these sort of cases really does focus on what took place on board the craft, but I think it's good to kind of get a little more of a perception of what the UFO looks like and, you know, potentially how it kind of operates as well. I feel like when I was sort of reading quite in-depth descriptions about the craft, it kind of reminded me of that typical Bob Lazar type craft and how it was kind of moving and so on kind of lines up with that whole theory of how they operate. Now, I can't really poke too many holes at this, and usually I can't for the most part. I think it was just the last episode I did a UFO case on, which is where I feel like there's a lot of plot holes. So I'm trying not to do that, but I like to obviously, you know, be very, um, trying to be biased with this. I guess the only thing I could say was that Michael was familiar with the Betty and Barty Hill case, um, and he knew of UFOs. It wasn't like this was an unknown thing to him. So of course it could be very much so fabricated. 
I think one thing that kind of holds it up is that Janet and Michael both 10 years later came out and said, yes, this did happen and they hadn't had that we know of any other communication with one another, nor have they had any real success outside of this either, you know. It was kind of something that happened in the late 60s and, you know, in the late 70s, um, reports were written about it. Walter Webb released a book as well, which is where a lot of this information is coming from. I'm reporting to you now. So for the most part, it was kind of, it had its time in history and now it's kind of just been put in the archives. It's definitely not a massive kind of case, not like a mass sighting, a really famous kind of UFO case. It's just really one where there's this very solid report here. I say it's still kind of in the early days of um, this, it's sort of in those early days when these UFO reports were really um, kind of coming through and people kind of getting excited about them. It's kind of when people started writing about them and we sort of started to learn that this was actually going on. Now, and I think too, it's interesting that something like this has happened in a location where a lake monster champ, um, as he or she is rightfully known, uh, has also resided. And this is something as well that I feel like there are these hotspots around the world where these weird events kind of happen. It's, you know, it seems like things are sometimes condensed into a certain space for whatever reason. It's hard to know exactly why. But so one of the first reports of Champ was actually in 1819. So a bit earlier than I originally expected. It's kind of the same with the Loch Ness Monster as well. It kind of goes back to sort of Celtic times. These laws around sea monsters or lake monsters kind of seem to go back to these stories that are passed on through generations. And through those stories, seems that uh, more reports kind of come out. 1817, a captain of the name of Captain Crumb witnessed a 187-foot-long monster with a head resembling a seahorse. And apparently the creature reared 15 feet out of the water. Another report was in 1873. In this year, the New York Times actually reported that a railroad crew had seen an enormous serpent in Lake Champlain. Now, obviously, more and more sightings go on throughout the years. uh, But in 1992, there was 180 sightings with 600 people claiming they'd seen this monster. And also we got the very famous photo of Champ as well in the lake. So I think it's interesting that it has nothing to do at all with this story, but I think it could in the sense of weird things seem to happen in these hotspot type areas. You know, a lot of UFO sightings might have Bigfoot reports or in this case UFO sightings relating to a lake monster or, you know, all the Mothman reports having UFO-type activity as well surrounding that area. That was the thing that really made me want to do this episode was I love lake monsters. You know, the Loch Ness Monster is one of my favourites. Um, so definitely a American version of that is definitely worth looking into. And as I said, I did do a full episode on this whole kind of topic as well you can go and check out, but just wanted to touch on it now because that was a big reason to create this episode. These older UFO cases really get me excited when I read them. And it's like the Renaissance kind of period. It's really romantic in a way, which might sound really weird, but I feel like they're probably the most solid reports that we kind of have. And maybe also leading into the 70s as well, but probably by the 80s, I feel like, you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of material kind of out there, a lot of books, uh, you know, a lot of films, on this kind of topic, you know, some being fictional, some being non-fiction, obviously. But I feel like there's this period, obviously, before the sort of new media world kind of took off where people lived their lives 
and didn't really want to get into too much trouble per se, right? They didn't really want to make a fuss. If they saw something weird, it'd take a lot of guts to report it. So when you come across cases like this, which are quite well, which I think are quite well documented, it's very exciting because I feel like you're just literally looking at probably the the best time that we can kind of base all of this information off. And I'm not saying that, you know, a case in, you know, say 2012 has any less weight to something from back then, but I think it's you got to almost look at them in a very different mindset, how much more you're going to be influenced, you know? Like it's like me saying I think I was abducted by aliens in one in one regard uh, I'm probably the worst person to say that because I have such a interest such a knowledge like I live for this stuff right so of course I'm going to be biased and any any sort of weird spot on my body if I wake up um, have a weird bruise or a weird sort of pin type prick looking mark it's easy for me to be like fuck I think I've been abducted or you know if I wake up and I've been sore like I feel like my body's been taken somewhere during when I'm sleeping it's easy for me to be like yeah it could be related to this but at the same time that's obviously because I'm so biased and so invested I know so much about this topic you know but if someone who had no real interest had these sort of weird experiences it does have a different kind of outcome from the way you're going to look at it you know I think someone who's interested in a certain topic, you got to keep that in mind. When someone has no interest, no real understanding, um, that's another way to approach that as well. But I suppose now everyone knows about aliens and UFOs. Back in the 60s, uh, it was kind of getting into that time where people knew very little, if nothing at all. Uh, in this case, Michael knew about the Betty and Barney Hill case, so he actually did know somewhat. But if you're going to look at something like Betty and Barney Hill, they had no idea what was going on. So you obviously got to take that into consideration when you do research these cases. And I guess the way I'll finish this episode is this week with the Pentagon saying that the footage that has been circulating for some years now is theirs and they're disclassifying it and that it most likely isn't anything extraterrestrial is it's hard to... I'm trying to figure out how to put my thoughts into words here, right? which is kind of what this whole podcast is, is just me crapping on and you guys trying to deconstruct and make sense of what I'm saying. But I had a conversation last night with someone about what's sort of going on in the world and they're very... They they believe in, they believe in obviously UFOs and also aliens as well uh, and also visitation, so abductions happening and so on because obviously there's two different camps you know believing that there's life out there and believing that life has visited and is visiting us and it's kind of hard to argue the point it's easy to argue the point of one that life exists outside of earth right i think it's pretty backwards to think otherwise it's so small-minded to think that we're the only ones right anyway moving on from that then there's the other argument where i'm 100 in and believe in it it's it's kind of hard a little bit to argue the point with people if they don't have an open mind to it. But I'm not really here to argue the point either, but I just think with everything that's going on, with more and more being disclosed, is it actually going to... At what point are people then going to sort of... That light switch is going to flick and they're going to go, hang on, people have been taken for decades, hundreds of years, thousands of years potentially, having these experiences, being able to remember them, them being very well documented, having all of that laid out in front of them. And then I suppose it's what do you do with that? How does that change life as we know it? In my opinion, I think that's 
that's the biggest scientific achievement ever if we get to communicate on a, I guess, on a disclosed level, right? Because I think it's already happened and I think there's a lot of backdoor deals and so on with, you know, certain people higher up who have full access to these beings and so on. But regardless of that, how that sort of changes the way of our world. And the last episode I put up was we're never going to be told about aliens because of how people react. But in saying that, that was before this whole world pandemic kind of really, well, it was ha- it was happening, don't get me wrong, but I think in the last month things have kind of escalated massively. And this information came out this week from the Pentagon and no one really cares. It's funny, it's just like people are, people do to a certain extent, but it's like if this was like a normal week, say a year ago, and the Pentagon said, yeah, yeah, th- this is footage of unidentified flying objects. I feel like there'd probably be a little more of like an uproar of like, holy shit, like we're right. Or, you know, we need to know more about this and people probably would demand to know more, you know, kind of like the whole Storm Area 51 thing, you know, people wanting to know. Um, also that being a meme, but for the most part, the, the purpose behind it was to learn more about what's going on and, you know, to be told the truth. I feel like, yeah, maybe if we weren't in this weird time right now, people would be doing that, wanting to know more. And I think that would be sort of the next step. But whether or not it's going to happen, I think they've definitely chosen their time to release this information perfectly for it to benefit them. I'm really past that point of really kind of giving a shit about that. And I know that's kind of not the place to be because I want disclosure, I want the truth, but I'm also very just interested in reading these reports and actually just telling other people's truths and kind of learning from that and kind of going, well, fuck, we can kind of put together all the pieces here and kind of figure out what's going on for the most part anyway, you know, so why why do we necessarily need to hear it from the government, which is my thought, which has been my thought for probably the last three or four years, to be honest, on that kind of topic. I don't care a ton about that because... The information's all kind of there that other people have, you know, discovered from their reports and so on, Uh, at least with, you know, the whole abduction thing. I suppose the whole UFO topic is sort of separate to itself, but specifically like alien abduction, UFO abduction, um, we can kind of put these, we can kind of make sense of the information from all these previous reports and the reports that are still flowing in right now. So on that, I think I'm going to leave it. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoy the UFO alien abduction stuff. I know for a fact you do because it's the most downloaded material that I create, but it's my favorite as well. So I'm glad that you guys enjoy it and I enjoy making it. It's um, it's really a pleasure. So thank you guys so much. As I said, check out all of our other episodes. Jump on our Facebook, our Instagram, jump on the blog. Do all that good stuff. Subscribe to the podcast. I made this for you guys, so a massive thank you for you guys taking the time to listen. It really means a lot. So stay safe out there, keep watching the skies, and I will see you in another podcast episode real soon. Thanks. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.